sure I got it right. James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4, and verse 12. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall in diverse temptations, knowing this, that the, prayer, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Good evening. I'd like to thank everyone for coming out here tonight. It's always encouraging to see lots of faces returning, especially on a Sunday evening. I'd also like to thank all of you for allowing me the opportunity to stand up here tonight and, and speak from God's Word in front of you all. Uh, this being my first time doing anything like this, all I ask is that uh, you have patience with me and give me grace while I take my time to get uh, comfortable and get settled in, if you will. In, in the past, when I've, I've, I've given uh, shorter uh, invitations, and, and when I go through the process of, of choosing a, a topic or idea I'd like to speak on, usually I try and, and choose something that is relatable um, or applicable in, in my life at the, at the time, and, and tonight is no different. I've, uh, I've titled this sermon, Persistence in Faith, and I've chosen this title because recently in my life I've started to notice that Having a, a persistent and, and, and constant faith in my life has at times become a lot more uh, difficult. And, and, and when I say faith, I don't only mean um, faith as in our, our belief um, in God, but also in our action. In, in James chapter 2, uh, James describes faith without works as useless in verse 20 and as dead in verse 26. And in my life, I've, I've started to notice that continually and, and constantly striving to do the will of God is, is not an attitude that I always have when I should. And I think it's a safe assumption to say that everyone in here has at least experienced those feelings or those struggles at one point or another. But, so I ask, why is that? I, I think a big reason is because when the results aren't seen right away for us, it'll be human nature to just want to give up. For example, you're not going to be good at an instrument after just practicing it a few times. You're not going to be able to grow a garden after going out and watering it every now and then. You're not going to be able to lose a lot of weight if you just go to the gym a couple times a week. To be able to, to accomplish these, these long-term goals, you have to work for it every day and, and strive for it and, and want it. And you're going to have to constantly develop this, this routine and, and this habit of, of these mundane, repetitive, boring tasks and that in the moment seemingly don't make a difference. And, and that is hard. We get impatient. We get, again, bored. And it's, it's, I think it's just as easy to feel the same way about our faith. Maybe there are times when we don't feel like praying to God throughout the day because it seemingly doesn't really have much of an effect on our life. Maybe we're not as attentive during a worship service because we didn't sleep well the night before and we're just ready to go home and, and take a nap. Maybe we become tired of having to do God's will and always having to be a bigger person because what good does it do? I think we'd all be lying to ourselves if we said that there weren't times 
whenever we don't feel as motivated to fulfill our responsibilities as servants of God, and it's easy to go through the motions and, and do just enough to get by just because our, our full heart might not be into it. So tonight I ask you the question, why is being persistent in our faith important? If you turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians, and 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, I'll be reading from our theme passage for the year. We've read a lot. We're very familiar with it. I'll just touch on it just one more time. Starting in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The key words I want to look at, verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in everything. What you see here is that there is an expectation to be constantly doing the will of God. There is an idea that it is a a habit in our life and it is something that we need to be doing as much as we can, not just when we feel like it. If you would also turn with me to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, I'll be reading from verse 18. Again, that is Ephesians 6, 18. Paul says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I think what you see here is, not only is this re-emphasizing 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and how often we are to pray when it says pray at all times, but it also emphasizes, emphasizes who we are to pray for when it says to give petition for all the saints. Well, obviously, these ideas aren't actually literal. I think it means we should have a, a God-centered and, and focused mindset where we are eager and willing to go to God in prayer at any time in our lives for anything and everything that we need. And just building off of that fact, if you would turn with me to the book of Daniel... And Daniel chapter 6, and Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. And where not, not too long ago, Sean already uh, gave a sermon on, on this passage and, and the importance of of prayer in our lives and how we can follow Daniel's example. So I won't touch on it too much, but again, you see that it actually tells us how many times Daniel would pray, and not only that, but then a time when it was outlawed. And what really stands out to me is at the end of verse 10, when it says he was praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Meaning his mindset toward his relationship with God and prayer did not change regardless of what the the will of man wanted. And I think that really speaks to David's character, not David, Daniel's character, and how we should, as an example, that we should follow. If you turn with me back to Ephesians, and just a chapter earlier in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I will be reading from verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the, name of our, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Again, the key words I want to look at is we are to give thanks always, and we are to give thanks for everything. And I especially want to focus on, on giving thanks for everything. And, and life is, is very easy 
um, to take the, these little things for granted. And I know that's certainly the case for me. Because at times, while you may not feel very blessed for what you have and you may not feel very grateful for your life, I can guarantee there will always be someone out there who has it worse in one way or another. God has absolutely no obligation to give you or me anything on this earth, and we should be grateful for every individual thing that he's given us the opportunity to enjoy, whether that be big or small. And just building on that idea of thankfulness, I'd like to turn to the book of Job. In the book of Job, and in Job chapter 1, we're all very familiar with the story of Job, so I won't be reading too much. In Job chapter 1, um, I'll start reading in verse 13. I'll just go down to the end of the chapter. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and, and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the, with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. What, what really sticks out to me in uh, this story of Job is that Job's immediate response to seemingly losing everything, I mean, his, his livestock, his servants, his sons and daughters, his immediate response to losing all of that is to worship and praise God. I mean, he has just been hit by this truck of, of horrible things in his life. I mean, his one loss after another. I mean, it's almost like, you know, a scene out of a cartoon. I mean, there's one bad thing, and then immediately there's another bad thing, and then another bad thing, and it's just constant... Um, sorrow and loss that he is, he is hearing about that is just stacking on top of each other. But look at verse 21 again. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is accepting what has happened and he is praising God for it. Because he knows that God is in control, he knows that God has been in control, and he knows that God always will be in control. He knows that God will watch over him and protect him because God always has. And I'll just be the first to say that if I was in Job's situation at this point in time, praising God would not be something that would be on my mind at the moment. Job understood the power and control that God has and even while experiencing incredibly difficult and gut-wrenching loss, he never sinned. He never blamed God. He persisted and he persevered. That should encourage us greatly, knowing that a regular man like Job could persist through everything he went through. Job's faith did not cease, even in times of trial. 
All that to say, being persistent in our faith is important because our service to God is not at our convenience. As we've looked at several passages, there's an expectation that we're to be constantly doing the will of God. And just to build on that, just one more passage uh, in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, I'll be reading, uh, I'll start reading in verse 35. Matthew chapter two, uh, 22, verse 35. This is uh, the Pharisees uh, questioning Jesus right here. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Loving God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind does not mean just showing up to church every Sunday, going through the regular worship service routine, and then going home back to your regular old life and nothing has changed. When we worship him, it should be with intention and it should be with purpose. We should approach Bible classes and other Bible studies seeking how to become more knowledgeable on God's word in any possible way that we can. Loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind doesn't only happen inside these walls either. Every single action we, we do should be guided by God's will and his word. If you're trying to lose weight, you might go on a diet. You might set restrictions for certain foods that you can and can't eat just to try and focus on healthier eating habits. But, you know, every now and then you might have a, a cheat day of sorts to reward yourself or to take a break from the restrictions of the diet. When it comes to our walk with God, we are not allowed to have cheat days for ourselves. And the sad part is, yes, they will happen, and they will continue to happen. But our mindset should be to prevent those in any way that we can, and our mindset should be God-focused in every aspect of our lives. We cannot sin just because we get tired of having to do God's will. I think a second reason why being persistent in our faith is important is because there is a greater goal in mind. If you turn me to the book of Galatians, And in Galatians chapter 6, I'll begin reading in verse 8. That is Galatians 6, verse 8. Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. What Paul is, is offering here is a, a conditional statement. We, uh, we will reap if we do not grow weary in verse 9. The key word being if. And in uh, verse 10, while we have the opportunity, we are to do good. We do not know when our time on this earth will come to an end. So Paul is urging us here to not lose heart, to not grow weary, because we are to make the most of the time that God has given us. If you would also turn with me to Philippians, and in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that, so that I may gain Christ 
and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. What we see here is that all that matters to Paul uh, at this moment in time in his life is doing good to, as he puts it, attain the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And not only is that all that matters to him, but everything else on this earth he is counting as a loss. Not to say that we can't enjoy the earthly blessings that we are given, but Paul is putting into perspective the importance of spending eternity with God and the cause of Christ. That if our actions are not for the sake of Christ, it is so unimportant in comparison to what we do for God. If you would also turn with me to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll be reading from verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Our goal is to finish. You may be the greatest servant in your life that God has ever had. But going along with this, this comparison that the Hebrew writer makes between life and a race, if you fall away in your life or don't finish, everything that you spent your time for was for nothing. We do not know when we will see the finish line of life, so we need to live our lives always being ready to finish. It reminds me of this um, motivational quote I saw one time. Um, the quote was, Are you willing to sprint? when the distance is unknown. It sounds corny, it sounds cheesy, I know, but it's, I think it's an attitude that we need to have in our life, in our walk with God. We need to have a constant, desi a constant desire and a constant passion to do anything that we can to serve Him. For those of you that don't know, I, I run cross country in the fall, I also run track in the spring. And, and there's, there's a lot of physical aspects of, of running that make it difficult, whether it's the pain and soreness in your legs, or difficulty breathing, being hot, overheated, being dehydrated. I could go on. But from experience, the mental aspect of running is just as, if not more, difficult than the physical aspect. I'll paint you a picture here. It's, it's cross-country season, middle of August, um, it's, it's 100 degrees outside, clear skies, uh, no wind, heat index of 110. I look at my phone when I wake up in the morning, and I check the practice schedule for cross country today, and, and oh, we're running five miles at practice today. Just like that, my day is instantly ruined. Because all I am thinking about is the fact that I have to go to school for seven to eight hours, and then immediately after, I have to go run five miles in blazing heat. But I am only, my physical struggle is only occurring 
during the time that I'm actually running um, at practice. Mentally, I have a struggle. Mentally, I'm struggling not only while I'm running at practice, but the seven, eight hours before that while I'm actually dreading going to practice. My, my mental struggle in that time is happening way more often than my physical struggle. So relate that to Christianity. We are going to encounter trials. We are going to experience loss. We are going to experience sorrow. And those things will test our faith, and yes, those things will be hard. But I'd argue that what's even harder is being a faithful Christian in your day-to-day life when you're not experiencing trials. Maybe you just don't feel like reading your Bible one day. Maybe you just don't have the time. Maybe you just don't feel like praying to God. Maybe you just don't feel like checking up on someone who couldn't make it to service one day. Maybe you don't feel like volunteering to help prepare communion. You don't feel like volunteering to help clean the building. You don't feel like helping teach Bible classes. I could go on. What you do in your day-to-day life is just as important as what you do in here on Sundays and Wednesdays. You spend a lot more time out there than you will in here. The temptation to not be doing the will of God is going to be way more prevalent. And that's why the Hebrew writer said to run with endurance. Because you're going to continuously be tempted all throughout your daily life. And we need to be ready and have the spiritual strength to overcome that. A third and and final reason, I think, persistence in our faith is important is because Christ, Christ persisted for us. Staying in, in Hebrews chapter 12, I'll read, to, uh, I'll read verse 1 again. I'll read to the end of verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving against sin. Look at verse 2 again. For the joy before him endured the cross. Christ is willing to suffer, bleed, and die not only because of his love for God, but because of his love for us. Every time he was mocked, every time he was humiliated, every drop of blood, every bruise, every excruciatingly painful second that he endured was driven by his desire for me and you to have salvation. A lot of times we'll use that word, excruciating, to to describe Jesus' crucifixion and uh, the dictionary definition of, of excruciating is, is two words, and intensely painful, which I think about sums it up. The origin of the word uh, excruciating, I actually didn't know this until not too long ago, the origin of the word excruciating actually derives from a Latin term, excruciere, um, which means as painful as a crucifixion from the cross. Meaning that crucifixion was so incredibly cruel and painful that we didn't even have a word to describe it at the time. We had to make one up just to describe the pain that you feel on the cross. If that doesn't paint a big enough picture as to how painful this was, on top of that, 
most historians and scholars aren't even 100% sure of the exact cause of death and what that would be for a victim of crucifixion. Just a quick Google search will tell you that there are actually several possible causes of death that uh, historians have theorized, among those being asphyxiation, heart failure, heart failure, hypovolemic shock, acidosis, dehydration, and pulmonary embolism, just to name a few. And to be honest, I don't even know what half of those things are. And if you were lucky enough to avoid dying from any of those causes on the cross, you'd either be beat to death, stabbed, or killed from blood poisoning shortly afterwards. I could go on, but the point being, this is probably the most painful way any man could possibly die. And it was typically reserved for only the most wicked people. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was able to endure every bit of it. If our Lord was able to persevere through crucifixion, that should give us so much encouragement to uh, to be able to persevere in our faith just in our day-to-day life. Let's look again at Hebrews chapter 12. I'll read uh, just verses 3 and 4. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. Yes, right now in, in this country, Christianity isn't exactly the most popular belief to have. You probably have, and, and you probably will, get picked on and resented for your faith from time to time. It'll happen. But we are so incredibly lucky that we do not come here every Sunday in fear of our lives. There are a lot of Christians out there who do not have that luxury. For that, we should be incredibly thankful. If you've turned me just a couple pages over to the book of James, in James chapter 1, I'll be reading from our scripture reading that we had earlier. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Jump down to verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. At the beginning of this sermon, I brought up the fact uh, that you won't be able to be uh, necessarily good at something after you know, only doing it a few times. You know, good at an instrument, growing a garden, losing weight. And, and yes, that's, that's still absolutely true. You, if, if you want to obtain that goal, you have to make it a habit. You have to continuously and, and repeatedly do those mundane and boring tasks to accomplish your end goal. Because at the end, you know that the result will be worth it. And that is what our faith is all about. Repeatedly and habitually doing the will of God so that we can please Him and one day receive the crown of life. I appreciate your attention this evening. As, as I've already mentioned, having a persistent faith is not always something I practice. And, and I know I'm not alone in that. In, in this world, we are constantly weighed down by the burdens of, of physical cares and physical desires. And, and from 
experience, that is extremely, extremely easy. That makes it extremely easy to lose sight of our true purpose. Maybe you're here tonight and you have been weighed down by the physical cares and desires of this world. Maybe you're here tonight and you've yet to put on Christ in baptism. Or maybe you have been baptized, but too often you have lost sight of your purpose and your responsibility as a Christian. If in your life you have not had a persistent faith, or you are yet to begin your walk in faith with God, and you wish to do so, we ask that you come forward now as we stand and as we sing.